Welcome to The Vampire Squid, a podcast about increasing transparency and education in finance. This is your host, Alan Lee, and welcome to episode three of The Vampire Squid. Today, we're going to be talking about initial public offering, or otherwise known as IPOs. As always, if you have any questions or comments, suggestions, please feel free to visit me on my website, www.thevampiresquid.com. Now for today's session, we'll first talk about why a company may want to go from private to public, why they would want to go through an IPO. We'll then talk about the steps necessary from start to finish of how a company goes from private to public. We'll then finish off with some of the more recent and popular IPOs in the tech sector um, over the last few years. So some of the reasons a company might want to go from private to public, number one, they might need more capital. When a company goes public, they issue new shares to the public for purchase. So if I was issuing 10 shares and I was issuing them at $10, I would get $100 in return. Less, obviously, fees that I have to pay for the investment bankers and the lawyers. Next, an IPO shows legitimacy to the market. The reason is because as a private company, you're not subject to all the rules, regulations, policies as a public company is. And this is regulated by the SEC, which is the Securities and Exchange Commission. They're sort of the filter for private to public companies and making sure that public companies conduct themselves in an appropriate manner so that public investors like you and I have a decent chance of making a return or are investing in a decent company, or not fraudulent company at least. Next, uh, an IPO is a fairly big marketing event as well. There is usually quite a bit of news and publicity around the around the IPO. So the company generates theoretically more customers because more people know about the company and this helps bring a little bit more revenue to the company. Another reason is because now as your company is public, your shares become more liquid because you can sell them on the public market. This is also used as a tool to attract you know, better senior level talent or even junior level talent because you have more to offer them in the form of monetary compensation. And finally, this provides liquidity for a lot of your early investors, the people that believed in your company early on. These are your venture capitalists that invested in you when you're nothing but a garage and a computer. Now your company is worth $100 million. And finally, these venture capitalist investors or angel investors can get a return on the money that they invested into you early, early on. Now, let's go over the steps necessary from public or from private to public. So say that I am the CEO of The Vampire Squid. I'm a blog and podcasting company. And now I want to go public. What's the first step that I need to take? First step is I'll need to hold a bake-off. And this is not a pastry or baked goods type of event. This is a competition between investment banks. As I need to go public, I need to hire investment banks to take me through this lengthy process of becoming private to public. Now, in this bake-off, what happens is the investment banks will pitch me on who knows my company best. They'll try to win my business 
And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for someone that really understands what the vampire squid is about. What is my mission? What is my goal for the company? How do I make revenue? What are my risks? What are my mitigants? So an investment bank usually will have a maybe 30, 40, 50 page presentation detailing things that I just mentioned and trying to convince me that they are the best investment bank to take me public. Some of the ways they might be able to do this is also by showing recent experience or relevant experience with companies like my my company. So if X investment bank has taken some of the most popular podcasts public like Serial or the Tim Ferriss Show and those podcast companies have been doing very well, I might be more enticed to work with that investment bank because they seem to understand the sector, the competitive risks, and how to best position me as a different podcast company amongst those. I'll be hesitant to work with uh, an investment bank that has only taken maybe oil and gas companies public because I'm a little bit nervous that they don't necessarily understand what my company is about, what my mission is, since they don't really have relevant experience in my field. So. These investment banks will have these PowerPoint presentations, but they'll also have many other many other things in addition to the in in addition to the presentation. So I've heard of investment banks bringing IPO survival kits to the presentation, and what this means is it's a bag full of goodies containing Red Bulls or pillows, sleeping bags. Even this is sort of a gag gift to show that the process is quite lengthy, but you know, our investment bank is giving you the survival kit to help you throughout the process of going through an IPO. I've heard of other investment banks even baking a cake, so bringing some legitimacy to the name a bake-off. The cake may have the name of the company on there, and it sort of is a as a nice finish to the end of a presentation, since everyone has a slice of cake, and who doesn't really like some frosting and baked goods? Other people have also dressed up, and what this means is they might come in with matching t-shirts with the company's logo. So basically anything and everything that you can think of, an investment bank has probably done or brought to an IPO bake-off for a company. So now the bake-off's done. I've seen all the presentations, eaten all the cake, drank all the Red Bull from the survival kit, and I'm sitting with my other management team and with my board and we're going to decide who we thought was the best, who we think is going to be best positioned to take us public. Now, this process might take a couple days before we decide as we go back and forth saying, I like their cake better, but this other investment bank understood our mission better. So we'll ultimately decide on, quote unquote, the winner of the IPO bake-off. And by winner, you become the lead left investment bank. And this name is solely generated from the position on the S-1 filing document. The S-1 is the document that is submitted to the SEC before your company goes public. And on the top, there's a list of the banks that help take you public. And the very first one on the top is known as the lead left, which is the investment bank that quote unquote won the competition and they're mostly responsible and in charge of leading the company through the IPO process. Now, there are many times maybe other investment banks also on that document 
maybe in the middle and on the right. So these are more of the supporting banks while the lead left bank uh, mainly runs the process. So for investment bank to win lead left, this is a very, this is a, this is a badge of honor. This is something that they can add to their credentials and say, look, we've taken the vampire squid public as the lead left investment bank. We know how to take your podcast company public as well because we have a lot of experience with it. So now the investment bank has one lead left. Oh, they also, since they're lead left and they take on more of the process, they usually get higher economics as well. So they get a bigger percentage of the pay um, and, and bragging rights uh, since they, they're doing more of the work. So now we have our banks in order and it might be one or two banks or it might be every bank on Wall Street uh, like Alibaba's IPO that had nearly everybody working for them or it might be a little bit smaller. Now we need to start something called S1 drafting. So as previously mentioned, S1 is the public filing document that you need to submit to the SEC. And what this document contains is this document has the business description of your company. It has the legal risks of your company. It has the business risks and mitigants of your company. It will talk about what you're going to use the money you raised in the IPO for. There will be management commentary. There will be management bios. There will be financials of the company, the income statement, the balance sheet, the cash flow statement. Basically, everything and anything about your company will be placed into this document. And in my show notes, I'll link you to a couple S1s so that you can look for yourself what an S1 document looks like. Now, this document can be hundreds of pages. So the process of creating this document can take months. So what happens when you're creating this document is you literally have your investment bankers in the room. You have me in the room and my management team. You might have some board members in there. You might have some lawyers. And then you might have the analyst with their computer connected to a projector and a projector screen with a Microsoft Word document open typing. So it's obviously not the most glamorous of jobs, but it's necessary to get the IPO done or get the S1 drafted. Now, personally, I think this process will become a lot more automated in the future because right now it's it's kind of ridiculous how long it takes. And I think in the future, since the sections of an S1 document are fairly structured and fairly uniform around companies, there might be a sort of a fill in the blank as we go in the future. Um, and this will cut down on the time it takes, uh, the amount of people it takes, the money it takes. But for now, this is how an S1 is drafted with everybody in the room typing word after word and pasting in pictures and financials into this document. Now, finally, after a month or two or even three, we finished this S1. Now we need to submit it to the SEC, that Securities Exchange Commission that needs to approve of our S1. Now, more often than not, when you submit it, the SEC will find certain mistakes or certain areas of improvement in your S1. They might want you to make edits to your financials, or they might want you to go to a lengthier explanation of the risks and what are the mitigants. So they'll submit changes back to my company. And we'll sit in that same room again with that Word document and revise the S1 so it's appropriate for the SEC. We'll continue this iterative process for maybe two, three, four, up to 12, 13, 14 times 
before the S1 is finally drafted and complete and the SEC signs off. Now the SEC is signed off and their S1 is privately filed. Next step is to prepare for the roadshow presentation. A roadshow presentation is basically a 30-page, maybe more or less, presentation on my company, and I'm going to present these to institutional investors. An institutional investor is someone that is like a large pension fund. It could be a hedge fund. It could be a mutual fund that deploy a lot of capital. So the reason I am going to show this roadshow presentation to these institutional investors first is because they get to purchase my stock before the company goes public, and they get to own it as the company becomes public. The reason that this happens is because these investors are known as being accredited, and investors like you and I are seen as not accredited, and we're quote-unquote unsophisticated investors. So by selling to these institutional investors first, it brings a little bit of stability to the stock price because this is the first time that public shareholders will get a handle of your company. And if it's all stock is just given to everyday investors like you and I, it might cause quite a bit of volatility in the market because it might be your first day trading. And if the stock maybe moves 10 cents down, people might be freaking out and selling their stock. So it creates a lot of volatility that the company doesn't want. I know with the Facebook investment or IPO, that was a lot of first times for millennials' investment into stock. So now this roadshow presentation is being created usually by the lead left investment bank, Analyst and Associates. So they'll spend hours upon hours and days making this presentation and making sure all parties are signed off on the presentation. And the parties can include my investment bank, your investment bank, the management team, the board, the lawyers. So this is also quite an iterative process to make sure that the roadshow presentation is in tip-top form and it conveys the message of the business well so that the institutional investors understand it. So we'll go on this roadshow. And this roadshow is basically presenting this deck to these institutional investors that may take around, on average, about a week, a little bit more than a week, seven, eight, nine days. And you know what some people have been doing, so with the Facebook IPO, they recorded a 30-minute video detailing their company because they wanted to reach a much larger audience of institutional investors because you can only meet face-to-face with so many in seven days. But usually people like it when you meet face-to-face and meet the management of the company. It makes them feel a little bit more secure. So now as we go through the roadshow, and I'm meeting with investors every day, I'm meeting with three, four, five, six institutional investors every day, they start to give me indications of how many shares they want and maybe at what price. So one investor might say, I'll take 10 shares of your company at any price. Another will say, I'll take 15 of your shares if it's under $15. Or another might say, I want five shares if it's between $8 and $10. So the investment banker makes notes of all these indications, and this is known as building the book. So I know how many shares I want to offer. Say I want to offer 100 shares. At the end of the roadshow, hopefully I have indications with more than 100 shares. So if after the roadshow, I have 
institutional investors offering to buy up to 150 shares, I'm feeling fairly decent because I'm 1.5 times oversubscribed. Oversubscribed is just a fancy name for a multiple over the number of shares that you're offering. So this is indicating to me that people, at least the institutional investors, like my business. It might be two times oversubscribed. There might be 200 shares of indication. On the opposite end, if after the roadshow, I only get 50 shares and I'm trying to offer 100 shares, this is a very good indication that maybe the timing isn't right or my business has some flaws in it that investors are seeing. So I'll be wanting to reevaluate going public if the institutional investors won't even match up to the number of shares I want to offer. And the IPO timing is is a very important thing as well because they might we might be undersubscribed because maybe this is 2008 where the Great Recession happened and people are hesitant to deploy capital into into uh, more risky investments such as IPOs. So the timing might might be off. Now, once I finish building the book, I along with the investment bank will work together to figure out how to allocate these to the different types of institutional investors. So as previously mentioned, there's pension funds, there's hedge funds, there's mutual funds, but I all want some stability in my stock price when I first scout into the market because since this is the first time that public shareholders are getting a piece of what my company is about, I don't want my price to be fluctuating all over the place. And that happens by people selling or buying at heavy amounts and that's what hedge funds are usually known for. They might be just looking to make a quick buck and selling immediately when the IPO happens. So I'm not going to allocate equally to the pension fund, the hedge fund, the mutual fund. It's not going to be 33% each. I might allocate 50% to the pension fund because I know they're holding for a longer term. I might invest 30% to the mutual fund and then maybe 20% to hedge funds or maybe less, 10% to hedge funds because... I want to make sure there's stability in my price uh, when I go public. Now, the reason I'm even giving any to the hedge funds is the hedge funds also provide a little bit of liquidity into the market because they're most likely selling the shares once our company goes public. This is so that everyday investors like you and I can also get a piece of the action. So we don't want to allocate 100% to a large pension fund that's not going to sell any shares for the next 5-10 years. We want to have a good diversification between all those institutional investors. So now I have effectively allocated efficiently to all these institutional investors. And usually the day or so before, I'm going to price the IPO. So as mentioned before, they have indications of stock prices that they would buy the IPO at and the amount of shares. So institutional investors said, you know, 10 shares at 10 to $12, another said 5 at $15. Taking into account all this information, I'm going to price my IPO at an area where it's most efficient so that I can allocate it best to these institutional investors. So after all this, the Vampire Squid is going to price their IPO at $10 a share. Now, the investment bank is going to take all these shares and sell them to the institutional investors the day before the IPO. Now, the investment bank makes their money because I'm going to sell them at a slight discount before they sell it to the institutional investor. And usually this is around, uh, I think, a 7% discount. So I'm going to sell 
my shares to the investment bank at $9.73. And then they're going to sell the shares to the uh, institutional investors at $10. So they make their profit. The investment banks make their profit off of this price difference um, multiplied by the number of shares that they that they sell. Now, this $10 price isn't going to be the price that public investors see. Public investors like you and I are going to see a different price on the day of trading. So the day before, everyone, ha- all the institutional investors have these shares in their hand. But the next morning, the investment bank, also known as the market maker, is going to open the stock at a certain price, which is usually different from the IPO price that was offered to the institutional investors. So days before, people are submitting indications of interest, public investors like you and I saying, I want to buy the vampire squid. I want to buy 10 shares of it. I want to buy five shares. I want to buy 15 shares at certain prices. So based on these indications, now the investment bank is going to open the stock price at something usually a little bit higher if it's depending on the the demand and the interest from public investors. And usually the price that the stock opens at will always be higher because the investment banks price in a discount to what they think the stock price will be trading at for the next month or two months so that the institutional investors get this benefit. When it is opened higher, this is called the IPO pop. Now, the reason that the institutional investors got the lower price instead of the the price at the opening is because they're taking on some risk for owning the shares before the company has become public. And for this risk, they are compensated by this IPO pop because they don't know if once the market opens, the share price might tank and public investors like you and I might think this vampire squid, this blog and podcast is terrible. It's not quality. The voice quality is terrible and they'll lose money. On the other hand, if it goes up, they'll make money and uh, that's the that's the payment that they get for the risk that they've taken. Now, on the day of the IPO, we open at, say, $15. So the institutional investors got a 50% return on their IPO price that they purchased initially. So they're fairly happy. Usually, people see around a 10, 15, 20% pop for the opening price. And, um, you know, institutional investors are usually fairly happy about that. But sometimes it can be more, it can be 50%, it could be a 100% pop, it could be 200%. Um, like in the case of Twitter, I think that was, that was uh, maybe a 100% pop or something like that. If the stock price closes that day, above the IPO price and the IPO price of 10 or if it closes around $15, $16, $14, this is seen as successful because the stock price stabilized higher than the offering price given to the institutional investors. If the stock price drops to maybe $9, $8, $7, now the institutional investors are losing money as well and they're upset and they might start selling. This is seen as a botched IPO or an unsuccessful IPO. The reason because is the investment bankers may not have priced the company efficiently or they might not have opened the stock price at a fair value. These are the levers that the investment bank has 
influence and control over. So if the stock price goes below the IPO price, this is seen as as a very bad moment for uh, investment banks and for the company because now the public thinks that this is a bad company and they're not sure how to invest into it in the future. Now, personally, I think that if your company is a good company, it doesn't really matter if your IPO the first few days if it closes below or above your offer price what happens in the long term is what really matters but in the case of the first few days of trading if it stabilizes above the IPO price or the offering price this is seen as a good sign if it's below it's a it's a bad sign because this is to to the extent that the investment bank can control um and this is the the influence that they have over the the stock price um, in the initial few days. So you want an investment bank that is able to price your company effectively to the market um, and value your company effectively. So now my company is public and I've been trading for a few days. And you know, as previously mentioned, if your company is a good company, it's going to do well no matter what. So. For example, with Facebook, which was considered one of the most infamous botched IPOs because the stock, the the IPO price was, I think, around $38, which was sold to the institutional investors. But then they opened the stock price to the public at, I think it was $40, $43, $42. But then it traded back down to $38. And it didn't trade even lower because the investment banks started buying shares to try try stabilizing the price. So this was seen as a botched IPO. And in the case of Twitter, it was seen as a very good IPO because it popped on the first day, I think almost over 100%, and um, it maintained that price for the first few days after trading. Now, as I mentioned previously, Facebook is now worth $100 plus, I believe, and Twitter is uh, is going downhill. So for the company, I don't think it really matters all too much because if your company's good, you'll do you'll do well no matter no matter what in the long term. Um but for the extent of those first few days of trading, that's uh that's all the control that the investment bank has and if it goes down, it's not good for the investment bank. If it goes up, it's it's seen as good. So now let, let's talk about some of the more recent IPOs that have happened. I already mentioned Facebook and Twitter, but also wanted to mention the Twilio IPO. This happened, I believe, in late May, and Twilio is an API interface for um, other applications. So API stands for Application Program Interface, and they're focused on the telecommunication sector, so tele- texting and calling. So, so if I'm building an application and I want texting and voice functionality, I could go about it two ways. I could either build and code that myself, or I can use Twilio's API in my application. Uh, you can also think of this, something that's probably a little bit more easy to understand is the Google Maps is also an API. So in the case of Uber, Uber could have basically created another Google Maps themselves, their own maps, but that could have taken too much time and resources And Why would they do that when Google Maps is so good already? They can just pay Google and have their map functionality in their application um, without having to code the thing, the entire thing themselves. Now, in Twilio's case, their IPO 
price that was offered to institutional investors was at $15 a share. And on the day of trading, it opened around $24 a share. And I believe it ended trading around $28, $29 a share. And the next few days, it went even higher to 30 plus. And this was seen as a very good IPO uh, opening for the investment bank and for Twilio because it shows to the market that, oh, Twilio is is a good company. Investors like it. They understand it. And the investment bank priced it correctly. Now, this $15 a share, you're not going to find on the Google Finance stock price chart. You're going to see the $24 because the $15 was only offered to the institutional investors. So don't be surprised if you're looking for it and can't find $15 because the amount that you'll see is the, is the price that is offered on the day of trading, which is uh, where it opened at $24. Oh, and also one thing I forgot to mention was there is some upside to having this pop being high, but you don't necessarily want the pop to be too high. In the example of Twilio, since they priced at $15 and they opened at $24 and ended trading at around $29, say if they opened it at $45, then this would be a 200% pop. So you don't necessarily want as much pop as possible because this is quote unquote leaving money on the table because the $15 is what Twilio received because the institutional investors paid the investment banks $15 for Twilio's shares that they received. So Twilio probably wanted to generate a little bit more money if they could have if the IPO opening price was going to be that much higher. So you don't necessarily want as much pop as possible. You want between 10 to 50%. Um, you don't want something like 300 400% because you probably could have gotten a lot more money for your IPO than you otherwise would have. Obviously, on the opposite end, if the stock is trading much lower, then your company is probably overvalued, and that's also not a good sign for uh, public investors, especially as an early-stage IPO company. So I think that is it for an initial public offering and the steps why a company would want to go through initial public offering what's the process and some of the some of the more popular ones and I'll also have show notes in my show notes I'll link you to the S1 document for the Twilio IPO and the Facebook and Twitter one so that you can look for yourselves what S1 document looks like but if you have any further questions comments suggestions on today's episode feel free to visit my website www.thevampiresquid.com feel free to leave a comment or send me an email directly at alan, A-L-A-N, at thevampiresquid.com. Until next time, we'll see you on the...